When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome you to another episode of Porch Talk. Um, this is your host, Alan, and I'm burning the phone lines and up to Ohio today to talk to Matt Fouts, uh, someone who has a, a passion very similar to mine. He's into woodworking, he's into hunting, and self-bows. And so, Matt, how you doing today? Oh, doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing good, man. It's just, uh, it's good, good. to be here. <laughs> yeah. Any- yeah, it- my, my days are too different during the quarantine. I pretty much stay here at the cabin and in the shop anyway, so. Yeah. Um, so, man, I just, uh, just kind of open up, just tell a little, tell the folks just a little bit about what you do there at the shop and uh, what all you provide, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how you got into it. Okay. Well, my background is mainly been in the wood industry my whole life. Uh, started out in forestry. Working for a paper mill, uh, but mainly dealing in hardwood logs and whatnot, and that led into one thing or another. Uh, I bought veneer logs out on the road for a long time, and at one point covered an area from Canada all the way down to North Carolina. Oh wow! So I got a, I had the opportunity to see a lot of different types of wood, meet a lot of people, and and then that kind of uh, parlayed into a hobby. Of, of doing woodworking and stuff on the side, and I bought a little wood miser mill, started doing instrument parts and, and gun stock blanks. And, uh, and, th- and then that kind of evolved into bow making. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and so just, just to back it up, so it was what, early 90s is when you really got into uh, uh, hunting with your grandfather and father, right? Yeah, mainly my grandfather, and then uh, a couple of my high school friends there in the 90s. Uh, we would go out, we, you know, started out like most people, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, and kind of evolved into whitetail and turkey. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then uh, just just uh, along the way, started learning a lot on my own, of course. You know, you always have those, those times where things don't work out, and you learn from it. Yeah. So, uh, mainly started out hunting with a gun early on, and then moved into uh, somewhere in the mid mid nineties. Moved into compound hunting when it started taking off. Yeah. And I'd done that for quite a while until uh, it kind of started getting a little bit old, I guess you would say, and um. That, that moved me toward looking into other things. And out of the blue one day, a buddy of mine called up and he said, hey, do you want to go on a pheasant hunt? I said, absolutely. I absolutely love pheasant hunting. Yeah. And we're doing it with traditional and primitive bows only. So at that point, I didn't own either. I haven't even heard of people pheasant hunting with self bows like in this area. We don't even have, we used to, there used to be quite a bit of quail. But the bird yeah. hunting here... It, it just ain't what it used to be. I, I think it's not here either. Uh, used to when when I was in you know high school in the mid or the early nineties, uh, when we'd go rabbit hunting, it, it wasn't uncommon to to jump up some pheasant. Um, we had a lot of pine plantations up here for the paper company, and it, it held some pheasants pretty good. Uh, I got you. But but it, this kind of started out my buddy's company that he bought logs for was putting on a pheasant hunt he said hey let's go do it with bows okay (laughs) so 
long story short, I, I got a piece of Osage. Uh, my buddy gave me, I think it was the traditional Bowyer's Bible, Volume 1. Uh-huh, or yeah. Two, maybe. A good book to get started out with. And it took me forever to get the bow done. And I think I had like 80 hours in, in my first one, but it worked. And uh, Yeah, and your first so we, bow was an Osage? Yeah, yeah, it was Osage. That's pretty impressive, man. Like, I know most people, they'll start on Hickory. Well, I had, uh, it being a log buyer, uh, I just, it kind of worked out. We had some loggers that I was dealing with at the time that uh, they were cutting Osage. Were they around the Mississippi? Uh, this is in Ohio. Oh, wow. Where'd they find Osage there? Uh, we have quite a bit of it, actually. Uh, if you look in uh, certain areas, especially if you go further north, I'm in southern Ohio. Uh-huh. We don't have a lot down here. But if you get up more in the central part of the state, up around Columbus mm-hmm. and further north and west, there's quite a bit because they actually planted the Osage for the hedgerows mm-hmm. back then when they, when they farmed all that country. Yeah, okay. Because like down here, it only grows around water. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen much when I've been down, uh, you know, down down Mississippi and, and, and Louisiana, those parts that, that I go visit regularly. I, I don't find much down there. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things, like when we're fishing, if we're on a river, like I'm, you know, I'm just watching the, uh, I'm watching the, the river sides and just looking at what kind of wood's growing, and then every now and then you'll see an Osage, and it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, because that, that, that wood, that wood is so precious, man. I, like, I'm really impressed, like, because the hardest thing about, like, an Osage, that was the second one I made, is following the ring all the way through your piece, all the way through the stave. Right. And that takes a lot of patience and diligence. That's the, that's the main key aspect on building an Osage, in my opinion. You know, you have to get, you have to chase that ring all the way, or if you don't, it's it's likely going to fail if you mm-hmm. if you cross over into another ring. Yeah, I've heard stories of uh, bows exploding. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've seen it happen quite a few times actually. <laughs> yeah, and so like it was uh, the guy who taught me. He's uh, he's my cousin. He lives down the street from me. I was uh, fourteen or fifteen. And my grandfather and him were great friends, and I don't know, one day they just ran into each other in town, and he's like, my grandson is really in the bows, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd take him under your wing and show him how to do it. And I knocked that I knocked that hickory out fast, because he told me um, at Tanny Hills up around Birmingham, it's, um, it's a little park, with, you know, it's a nature park where you'd go camp out or whatever. And uh, they were holding a self-bow competition, you know, they'd set up targets. And he's like, if you finish this bow in a month, I'll take you up there and let you shoot. Right. You know, 14 years old, uh, game on, buddy. Absolutely. And um, was able to knock the hickory out fairly fast, and it turned out nice. It was, uh, I'm six one, so I made that bow, I think it was 74 inches. Wow, yeah. And, um... When I first got done with it, it was, I had a 48-pound draw, which, you know, supposedly they say you only need 32 pounds, I think, to kill a deer. It might be 36. I, I know it's been done. Yeah, I know people have killed deer with a 30-pound bow, but up here it's the legal weight's 40. I'm not sure what it is. And- yeah, and so I knew, you know, like with hickory, it developed string follow over the time, which is something that is impressive about Osage's it's really tough and it doesn't succeed to string follow as near as quickly. And so I knew like, okay, after some years, I need to make this bow a little bit heavy. That way, um, you know, the, the bow building Bible, it says, you know, of a hickory, uh, well, your long bow, you'll typically lose eight to 10 pounds over, you know, five, seven years or whatever it is. And I was like, I'll just up the ante. And when it develops that string follow, it'll be in a sweet spot. Right. And, um, man, that, that bow has been a, it's been a good one and a great learner bow. 
and uh, it actually shoots better for right-handers. I'm left-handed. Both of my bows um, shoot better for right-handers for whatever reason. <laughs> you can always flip them upside down. <laughs> well, it depends on the style, but uh, I've had some bows do the same thing. You know, they shoot upside down better than they do right tied up sometimes. Uh, I, I built one one time that, and this was out of Osage, but it's a really short bow, unbacked. And throughout the year, it would change for some reason. That's uh, wild. I think it had a lot to do with humidity and, uh, and, and just weather conditions. But every now and again, you would literally be able to flip it upside down and start shooting better. Uh, yeah. That's wild, man. I know, like, one thing I've, I've heard about it, like, um, see, my Osage is... Um, it's 15 years old now, and, um, like, I've, I've noticed, like, the personality of it's changed over the years. Just some of the bends, and it has quite a few knots up and down the limbs. And, right. um, I've, no, I've, I've noticed, like, tendencies of it tended to change over the years as it, you know, matured. Right. Yeah, they will. And Osage is, one of the cool things about Osage is, you know, if you if your bow's fifteen years old, I, I assume that it's gotten a lot darker too. Over oh yeah, dude, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, you'll start out with this bright yellow, bright orange looking wood, and as it ages, I have some that they, they get like a deep purplish, blackish hue to them almost, and you know they're just always changing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, over the years they'll. They'll season out different sometimes, and uh, depending on how they're stored in the house or, you know, what kind of heat you heat your house with, uh, uh, it can change things. Yeah, yeah. And and especially if you put a backing on it, like I, I do some sinew back bows. Nice. Those, those can change quite a bit depending on temperature or humidity. What uh? What all kind of backings do you do? I've heard of Sino. Do you ever do any kind of bamboo? I do. Uh, matter of fact, I have four in the works right now that I'm working on. Uh, I do bamboo backed Osage and bamboo backed Hickory mainly. I like those two combinations. Yeah. Uh, the bamboo. Actually, I harvest the bamboo down south. I have access to a plantation. Um, they have several varieties, and uh, years ago, I kind of, uh, a buddy of mine there at Natchez uh, got me hooked up with this place, and I found a, a different variety than most people have used for bow backing. Yeah. But uh, the one thing I look for in, in a good bamboo backing is there's power fibers right underneath the rind of the bamboo. Yeah. And the smaller, the, the, the more densely pack they are the better it is and, and and this stuff it's it's a blue henon variety and we've done all kinds of testing on it and that's about all i use anymore the stuff is great yeah cool so, man uh, we work it down real thin um if you use a bamboo backing you need to thin it down a lot of people get these slabs of bamboo from you know some sort of wholesale place or maybe even archery supply companies and they come there about a quarter inch uh, thick and people will just glue that flat to a hickory or whatever oh no and it, it'll make the bow fail almost every time uh-huh yeah the bamboo is so uh so overpowering it will it will just destroy hickory in a heartbeat mm-hmm. and it will eventually destroy osage either yeah, I've seen um, uh, I've seen a couple of hickory uh, bamboo backed, and uh, the ones I did see, they look like they were well done. And, you know, your backing is supposed to complement your bow, not not take anything away from it. Man, that right, that sucks. Yeah, the, the, you know, in the bamboo with the hickory, it, it helps relieve some of that, like you mentioned before, the set or the string follow. It helps hold the shape of the of the form that you're or the design that you're trying to do mm-hmm. and and i'm doing some pretty radical designs with it now uh based off of modern um deflex reflex uh longbows made out of fiberglass yeah the bamboo is able to hold everything together and still make that work with, 
with no modern materials. Nice. What about uh, just different experiences um, with light bow making? Do you always do long bows? Have you ever done like a pony bow or anything like that? I'm sorry, I'm sorry what type of bow did you say? The pony bow. You remember um, the Indians when they would ride ponies, they would have these like incredibly oh. short bows. Sure, yeah, yeah. I've done a few, uh, like a plain style, uh, with the, the shorter plain style bows that they would have used from horseback. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of replica, Native American replica bows. Nice. So, um, basically whatever the customer wants. I do quite a few, like Cherokee style bows is a, is a fairly popular one. Um, I've been doing some Shawnee, more, you know, people, customers in Ohio in this area, they want more of a Shawnee-style bow. Mm-hmm. And done some Choctaw-style bows for some people down in uh, Mississippi. Nice. Um, but we've done everything. I was like, I've done mirror, I'm working on a mirror heath style, you know, a couple thousand-year-old design. Yeah. Uh, we've done the, the Mollies. Uh yeah, some, some pretty old designs, though. So. Yeah, so, like, with some of those older designs, like, uh, just, I guess, with what y'all have found historically, do you, uh, is it the same kind of trees that they were using then? So, I try to stay uh, as, as close as possible to what they would have used then. So, the Cherokee bows, a lot of those were made out of hickory or, or black locust. Uh-huh. Uh, I've made a few out of Osage. Um, you know, we look at what, what the original, if there was originals that were found, what were they made out of, you know? So we try to stay true to that because some of my customers, they want everything completely authentic. Right. I mean, down to the point, I have some of them tell me, do not use any power tools or any modern tools at all, you know? So... They want everything done as close to original as possible. Right. Probably down to so, the string and the silencer and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, down to every little detail. Uh, you know, even the finish. Mm-hmm. We don't use modern finishes if, if that's the case. We use, you know, I use bare grease, bare oil that, that we rendered down ourselves and uh, beeswax that type of thing yeah yeah i used uh we yeah. used beeswax on strings i I never heard of uh the barrel though i didn't know that uh it would act as uh something to keep the wood yeah it, it will it, it takes a lot of it takes several coats you, you basically just keep putting it on there until the wood won't take it anymore okay so you're just complete, I, completely uh, saturating it with it pretty much yes yeah yeah, and a lot of people use it in flintlocks too. A lot of the, uh, you know, we kind of we're kind of into the rendezvous thing and flintlocks also. And bear grease is one of those traditional finishes and lubricants. So we tend to use it quite a bit on our projects. Okay, what about all of your uh, arrow making? Like, if they request, like you know, a legit arrowhead, and then do you use like the animal sinew to seal it off? With the fletchings right. and all. Yep, we do that. Um, you know, we have we have different. Uh, I don't know if you want to say grades of arrows or different options. You know, we can we can use some modern materials that uh, it's a little bit easier to work with. Typically, it's cheaper to do, uh, but it looks authentic. You know, your fake sinew and and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or we'll do 100% primitive arrows using real sinew, real turkey feathers. Hey man, ain't nothing I nothing sounds nothing sounds sweeter than a turkey feather arrow just flying through the air. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty much what I use on my hunting setups. Man, yeah. That's uh Have you taken down a turkey with your longbow? I've missed several. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh... I, I've tried, and, 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 you know, our turkey season comes in here on Monday. Yeah. So 
I'll have hopefully have a few chances this year to uh, to get one with my bow finally. That's always uh, I've always wanted to kill a turkey with my bow and then like use the feathers to make arrows. I I don't think right. it'd be any more legit than that. Right. And um, I was hoping like my first deer kill. Um, the same guy that taught me how to make a bow, you know, he makes, uh, I'm sure you do as well, he'll make uh, bow quivers out of the hide. And he's like, you know, yeah. next next deer you kill, you know, preferably with your bow, let's tan the hide and um, we'll make you a quiver. I was like, oh, man, right. yeah. And uh, the next deer I killed was with my truck. So I was like, oh my. I really want a quiver. And I was like, <laughs> it did immense damage to the vehicle. So I was like, Let's do it in uh, in memory of the ranger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we use a lot of you know uh, turkeys that I killed with a modern shotgun or even flintlock or whatever. You know, we we save all that. I have all my buddies save their turkey wings and everything too. Uh, but uh, yeah, we try to use as much of a deer or turkey, whatever we we end up with. You know, we try to use everything we can off of it. And just speaking on deer hunting, you killed a big buck. So if you could kind of just uh, retell that adrenaline rush for us. That that one was actually uh, about a nine-yard shot. Oh, wow. Which was, it was a crazy adrenaline rush. I have a video of myself after I took the shot. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm literally just trying to video and talk to myself, talk myself down from falling out of the tree, you know? Yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was, it was a pretty neat deal. I, I had, uh, I had the date actually circled on the calendar. It was a, a new moon phase and just everything was coming into play and we had a storm front coming in. I took off work early that day, came home, didn't have my house keys. I literally broke into my own house <laughs> to, to go get my bow and my clothes. <laughs> uh, hoofed it up the hill, and, you know, in 15 minutes, I had deer starting to come out everywhere early in the afternoon. It was just one of those days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was actually hunting a, an eight-point, a pretty nice eight-pointer we had on the property. And I seen him, and I was grunting. And, and calling to him and he just didn't want to pay me any attention and he kept looking back and so I got real aggressive with my calling mm -hmm. and now I know why he didn't want to come in because this big bruiser of a 12 point come just mowing down through the woods and stopped right in front of my tree stand basically oh man so yeah pretty big it's about 170 inch deer nice and uh that's my first self bow and the first year i was actually hunting deer with my self bow so it worked out pretty cool my first year and it seems like um every time i've had an opportunity to hunt with my self bow the story is always the same you know i'll get up under um an acorn tree or um i've gotten up in a climbing stand one or two times with it but uh i always have a deer come in and it's like they can almost smell my adrenaline right when it kicks up because you know if i'm hunting from the ground i'll pop up on my knee and i'll get everything ready i'll be pulled back and i'll be aiming and it'll just white flag raises and it's gone yeah and, I, uh, they have six sense or something or other they i think they can sense when something's not quite right for some reason <laughs> yeah and uh even when i was up in the tree i was like oh i got you because it was like you know what you're talking about it's a typical shot that you practice for as an archer uh, especially if you're gonna be right. hunting and it's like i've done this a thousand times and you know pull back ready and just white flag and i'm like oh my gosh because like i met right. the air the first arrow that i want to kill a deer with is the arrow I made, you know, it was the first arrow I ever learned how to make. And uh, I was like, I want that thing to be the one that kills it, so I don't want to just fire it off in anger and break it or lose it. That's true. I, I, you know, the, 
a lot of time goes into the arrow making, especially, you know. Um, yeah. Actually, in, in a lot of Native American cultures, the uh, the arrow makers in the tribe were uh, had a lot more respect for them. The people of the tribe had more more respect for them than they did the bowyers. Mm-hmm. Because you know you can take a great bow, but if you have a subpar arrow, you're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. So. And I'll tell you something about like my Osage when I was figuring it out. It's a um, it's a stout bow. It's got a fifty eight pound draw, but it um, I usually tried to fly you know sixty pound arrows for it, mm-hmm. and I had to up that to seventy seventy five because like even I don't know it's just so stinking strong, man. Like it would make the back end of the arrow kick out to where you know it's like the back end is trying to catch the front. It will just right. waggle the whole way. And we eventually figured out it's like we just got to make stronger arrows. That's that's the case sometimes, and you know a lot of that can be designed too. How the arrow comes off of uh, either the bow or I don't know. Do you shoot off your finger or do you have an arrow rest? I'm off my finger. Okay. You know a lot of a lot of times it it just depends on how that arrow is trying to bend around the bow as it comes off your finger. Yeah. And sometimes it will. It'll take a totally different spine than what the what the typical spine would be for that poundage of a bow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that probably has a lot to do with it. Thankfully, I got a nice little scar on my finger now for the arrow to rest in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, one thing a lot of people don't consider on that, on the arrows uh, in, in the spine, is how much weight you put out on the front. Uh, the more weight you put out on the front, uh, it's going to weaken the spine of the arrow more. And a lot of people coming over from compound shooting and, and somewhat even from just regular traditional shooting, they don't understand that because they're they're all hopped up on this high FOC, uh, you know, putting weight forward in the arrow and all this. You know, I've got guys shooting shooting these little teeny carbon arrows with 250 grains or whatever on the point. And, and when you do that, and you apply that especially to wood arrows and, and, and cane arrows, is you're weakening that spine quite a bit. So that's sometimes why you need to go with a stiffer spine too. That's probably, uh, that's probably my, I never even considered that, you know, taking that into account. And, and now, the way I hunt, I use stone points now, or that's what my that's what my main go-to is right now. Um, just trying to take as many things as I can with stone points. Mm-hmm. And so we're going with a smaller stone point, uh, lighter in weight, probably around like 90 grains. Yeah. And to keep that head size, the profile, down so you get better print penetration and then put weight in behind the head. Yeah. Either either inside the shaft, if it's a bamboo or cane arrow, or, uh, you know, there's different ways of doing it with, with the cane and the wood and all that, but that'll help drive that small point through the deer or, or turkey, whatever. Right. Yeah, that is, um, that's one thing uh, that I realized quick. Like, after I had made two bows that I've made is uh, then it was time to start learning how to make arrows and uh, I did I did not enjoy the experience and I was like um, matter of fact I think I made half a dozen and I was you know aiming to make a dozen and I was like I'm I'm not into this (laughs) yeah Yeah, it can it can be a little tedious Uh, and we we have a pretty good setup for doing it now I guess and you know pretty good eyeball for, for trying to get it done um, I guess after you do a few thousand of them you figure it out but, yeah <laughs> you know. right and I mean and that's great cause like I know like when you go out to these um, like the Tannehill thing I'd mentioned to you I mean it's a great festival to where you know people are gonna have their self bows their bear bows all that mm-hmm. And on top of that, the vendors, it's a great time for, 
um, you know, guys like you who do this is like they'll bring their wares and their craftsmanship and everything that they've made. And man, I'm I'll buy five, six dozen at a time. You know, I was like, I don't want to make I don't want to make an arrow. Yeah, we we we're we're kind of missing our shows this year. Yeah, I know, man. I yeah, I hate that. That's uh, you know, that's a big part of our business. What we do with the uh, with the archery and the gunstock wood is, you know, we go to trade fairs, rendezvous, bow shoots, all that stuff. And so far this year, we have been to zero. I'm telling you, man. I do uh, I do a lot of art and music festivals and just uh, festivals for different cities all throughout Mississippi and Alabama uh, with my buddy uh, Monson. It's Monson Brothers. We do beard oils and bombs and mosquito repellents and all kinds of different things. And um, it's just a lot of fun to get out and interact with folks, you know. And on top of that, um, I've made most of these products you know i know how to make the soap that he makes i know how to do all this and i was like i believe in the stuff you know i i personally use right. it so it's fun to go out there and sell it so man i we're hurting too i mean we haven't done anything yeah yeah i'm ready to i'm ready to get back out on the road a little bit you know i love yeah. my plate here and love hanging out with the kids and all that but yeah. uh <laughs> kind of miss going to the rendezvous and the bow shoots and and all the the trade fairs yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I guess that's how you and Gabriel met, uh, the mutual friend that we have. Right. And, um, cause... Yeah, we, we met out at the hill, you know, at the, where we go do rendezvous out in, uh, down in Natchez. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, man, um, just to tell folks just a little bit more about your business and maybe the website and just to give people a better idea i'm sure you got some pictures of some of the things um of your website and just some of the services that you provide okay so yeah you know mainly what we do we're, we're focused on primitive archery is what we mainly build uh we also do regular traditional archery i don't build traditional archery bows or at least not right now it's all primitive bows but we do we carry all the accoutrements, the shooting gloves, the finger tabs, all your arrow building supplies and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we also do, uh, we're a gun stock supplier, mainly for flintlocks, but we, we, we do occasionally work uh, with people on modern guns and do, do a little bit of custom woodworking. A lot of it's more, more of the period correct style. 1700s, 1800s style stuff that we deal with. Okay. Um, you can see we have a website uh, where you can see some of the bows and, and different things we offer. It's whitefeatherarchery.com. Okay. And uh, we also have Facebook page, White Feather Archery. Yeah, man. Have you got any, um, like, I don't know if it would be videos, but I'm sure you got like photographs of maybe like some of the process. But have you got any videos of like maybe tilling up the bow for the first time to see how it's going to bend or anything? Well, you know, I, that's actually something we I actually started working on that last week. One of my things that it's, it's kind of just one of my little things about me is I never send anybody pictures or videos of, of a bow that I'm building until after they get it uh-huh I, I i don't know a lot of people show their work as, as they're working on it but i just don't i like to see the reaction on people's faces when i when i give it to them yeah yeah i got you but since we have a lot more time on our hands and these days uh we're, we're starting to do some uh recordings of the bow building process arrow building process so those are those are actually going to be coming up fairly shortly probably within a week uh we're going to start doing that so yeah that's uh when i eventually when i get back into it and i have a place to sit down and start doing it again is uh that's one thing that i want to do is uh i mean there's so much great literature on you know how to make a bow and the different uh histories and different ways of doing it and you know all throughout different people groups and the way that they've done it but, like, I just wanted right. to do, like, 
um, a modern day Bible Bowman, you know, to where um, it's very lame in terms, tons of pictures and like just all the mistakes I've made over the years. And just be sure to be like really transparent and be like, this did not work. Don't do this. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, just, just to be able to preserve that history. Yeah, and I've, I've thought about doing a book also. Uh, that is not in the works right now. It's, it's been on the back burner for five or six years now. Yeah. Um, you know, starting out with the, the main thing, you know, like you talked about earlier, selecting the wood and, and, and all that. That's the big, uh, that, that's your first major thing that you have to think about. Okay, what, what type of wood and all that. But what a lot of people don't think about is moisture content in the wood, mm-hmm. you know, the way the grain runs, uh, the growth rings in, all, all, all kinds of different factors that you really should look at when you're trying to build the best possible bow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the first things that, that uh, I'm sorry, uh, go well, ahead. Some people don't think about that and they fail right from the get-go because of that, and, and that's the first key that you have to you have to start off with decent material. Yeah. That was one thing I, I loved about uh, what Jerry and the way that he taught me is, uh, you know, he's got a woodshed where he has um, he has one shed particularly, you know, dehumidified that's perfect for preserving hickory. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're already, the, the staves are in place, and I swear he does it on purpose. It's like he's got some really bad pieces in there, and he's got some really good pieces. But, yeah. um same goes for Osage, but about the passion, like, just some of the things that I picked up from him was, you know, he took me in that woodshed, and he said, I want you to look through these pieces, you know, and he showed me how to look at it. He says, pick that wood stave up, and he said, see the bow in your mind, look at the grain, follow it all the way down, look at the twists, look at, look at, look at what that tree is you know, speaking, what what is this tree saying? And can you make a bow out of it? Can you get that right. twist out? Is it worth it? And then he was like, think about how stout it'll be after you take all that off. And I, I had never done it before. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm looking for. And, you know, like, I remember, like, going through, like, seven, eight pieces. And, like, I'd look over at him to try to get some kind of, oh, yeah, you made a good choice right there, buddy. Or, yeah, it was good you passed. <laughs> and, um... You know, when I finally picked up this one piece and I kind of looked over there at him and his eyes lit up and I got to looking at it and I was like, ooh, this piece ain't got that many twists. It looks like right. it'll be easy. And he was like, that what you want? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's a good pick. Let's go. <laughs> well, there you go. And, well, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's ahead of the game, too. If, he, if, he, if he's keeping that wood around a dehumidifier and stuff, I tell people that all the time. They think I'm crazy. Uh, I don't know why, uh, especially on hickory. Hickory is very susceptible to moisture. Mm-hmm. It's like basically built out of a whole bunch of teeny little straws. It'll suck moisture out of the air. Right. What you really need to fill hickory up good. I build, when I'm building hickory bows, and this is what people think I'm crazy doing, but I have a dehumidifier set up right next to my tillering board. Mm-hmm. And that bow never leaves it doesn't get 10 feet away from that dehumidifier the whole time I'm building it. Mm-hmm. If you got the, I'm yeah, sure you uh, got the little tool, you know, well, Jerry, he would always check it as he would till it. And when he got it down yeah. close to where he thought he wanted it, he would check, you know, the humidity in it and make sure it was in the right range. Cause right. Yeah. man, hickory, like it's, I don't think it's crazy at all. It's just what I learned from Jerry is like, he's like, if we get this bow cut and it has too much moisture, we risk everything by putting it in the dehumidifier to dry it out because then it's going to start twisting and bending. Yeah, it can do that too, yeah. yeah. I, I, hickory, you know, my preference is I like to have hickory around 6% moisture. Mm-hmm. It likes to be dry, uh, mm-hmm. at least the way I've disposed. You know, it's totally different from Osage. Osage, you can get by with around 8 maybe even 10%. Yeah. And... But if if the hickory's too wet, um, it's going to take a lot more set too, you know. Mhm. Yep. And once that happens, it happens. Yeah, and ain't no getting it back. 
Nah, you know, you can try, but it doesn't really, <laughs> people try to toast the belly or they try to put it on a call and form it back, but if it's there, it, it's going to eventually come back, most likely. Yeah. Oh, just one other thing I want to mention, you know, if, if somebody's thinking about getting into primitive archery or, or, or traditional, uh, make sure uh, you don't overbow yourself. You know, if you're coming from shooting a compound and you're shooting 70-pound compound, don't think that you're going to shoot a 70-pound self-bow real easy. Right, because uh, you don't have that release. Right, right. You don't have all the lead off and the wheels or cams or whatnot to help so you know that's one huge mistake that people get into when they when they switch over or start out is they way over bow themselves mm-hmm. and it's not fun trying to shoot a bow that's too heavy no it's not and that i mean i remember um you know, back in high school, I'd have a buddy of mine come over and shoot the the hickory. That's I wouldn't let him shoot shoot the Osage, um, mm-hmm. for for two reasons. Uh, one because it was my baby, and then the, the second reason was um, it's a lot stouter than that hickory. That that hickory's right at forty two, and the Osage is uh, fifty eight. Right. And um, you know they'll get to pulling the hickory back and get comfortable, and it was like this is a really light pool and i was like you get out here in the yard and shoot it about a hundred times and you tell me how you feel <laughs> yeah. and i was like every yeah. every time you draw and shoot that bow you're gonna lose a little bit of yourself and i was like coming from a compound i was like you have no idea probably on proper form of how to use your entire body to pull a bow right and i was like there's there's form there's there's a technique about it. There's a way to use your hips and to roll your back. That way you're using all of your body to pull it so it's not just in your arm. And I was like, and by the way, if you just use your arm, you're going to tear your arm that's holding the bow up because you're probably not going to have the strength to flex your wrist back. So that string is right. just going to eat you alive. Right. Yeah, there's a, you know, a huge part of it is form. And just being consistent too as far as being accurate but uh there, there's even breathing techniques mm-hmm. you, know? Uh, I, you know the way i start well, the way i draw a bow is i'll start drawing and get about uh, a third to halfway and then breathe in take a big deep breath mm-hmm. you know and if you do that whether you're trying to draw a bow or just standing there it expands your chest but it, it also it, it pulls your shoulder blades apart kind of like helping you you know, right. uh, use every muscle that you can. You know, I'm not a real big guy, so I, I try to find every advantage that I can when I'm when I'm shooting. So. Yeah, I know um, we didn't even mention this, but a guy in Florida who was a, a friend of Jerry's, he was a very stout fella. Um, he's probably in his 70s now, and I bet he can still do it. But he made a two-piece bow. And um, I wanted to, he always said that he was going to come up to Bama and spend, you know, a couple of weeks with us to kind of teach us how it's done. Because he used, um, it was like, almost like keys that perfectly fit. The handle split right in half. And then right. he used just two pieces of metal that go in, and it just, some way it locked in place. Yeah, they, uh, there's, there's a few different types of things out there. Um sounds like maybe the one you're talking about is called like a bow sleeve, uh, two-piece sleeve. Yeah, I think that uh, was it, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, and it basically, it locks together with friction. There's no mechanical attachment, you know. You, you slide one down over the other, and then once you string that bow, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, they can, they can be kind of hard to get apart sometimes, <laughs> in my experience, but... Uh, <coughs> But yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool option. It, a lot of guys use that option uh, when they go backpack hunting out west and Alaska and stuff. See, and that, that's what Bring he was into. In your backpack. That's what he was into, and like um, the bow that he brought, um, he camped with us that night at Tanning Hill, and he was telling me the story of uh, bear hunting, and cause uh-huh. um, he's like the reason I'm made the bow two-piece was for that reason like you just said is backpack hunting and so it's you're not carrying around a 70 
inch piece of wood around all the time. Right, right, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit easier to move around. <laughs> and on top of that, uh, it was insanely stout. That was like, a, I think it was 72 pounds raw on it, man. Like, it was a beast. Oh, yeah. And, like, he killed a bear with it. <laughs> I, I, I took mine hunting, oh, it's been maybe five years ago, took a bear hunting up in Canada. Never could get a shot at one with the bow. Had them about 13 yards away, but just they didn't offer a, a good shot, a good clean shot. Yeah. That would have been cool. I was hunting stone points and the whole deal. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would have to be, ooh, man, to kill a bow or to kill a bear with a bow I made. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I was more worried about the big cats up there. I didn't. I, I had. Ne- I didn't have any experience with big cats. I got treed by three lynx, and you know they were like ten yards away, and I couldn't see them. I didn't know what they were. They're over there squalling like crazy, and I'm like, "This is the end of me." I'm sitting here with a self bow and stone point. I I reached down and I undone my my knife sheaths, and I'm like, "Well, I'll get one shot and." and Pull the knives, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that was a little bit eerie. And uh, uh, come to find out they were links. I described what I seen and heard to the guide. and uh, <clears throat> He said, well, but they won't bother you unless they're on a hunting party. And I said, well, there was three of them. Yeah. And I said, about 15 minutes later, they ran a moose by me. So I said, they, they were up to something. Right. Right, yeah, that's uh, yeah, big cats. I couldn't imagine. Um, even some of the stories that you'll hear around here, like uh, I can't confirm or deny it. I've never seen it, but a lot of a lot of hunters will say they'll be up in their up in their stands and they'll hear or see a panther. And I was like, oh man, I don't know about that, but maybe. <laughs> I've I've heard that uh, from. Some people in Mississippi, they're, you know, uh, about panthers and, and whatnot. And we've got some buddies in Florida. Supposedly they see them. And you see pictures of stuff here and there, but it's hard to say. Yeah, that's one thing I don't want to run up on with just a self bow in hand as a big cat. Right. I'm, now, I'm over the lynx thing now. Now I know how to deal with them, uh, I think. But, uh, they they had other big cats up there too, <laughs> all kinds of wolves and everything. So, you know, it, it's a little bit different hunting around stuff like that that you're not worried. You know, you don't have to worry about around here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I can't wait to go back. I know that. Oh man, yeah. Well, brother, I ain't got anything else to ask. Um, you got anything else okay. you want to talk about before we go? Oh, I'm. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed it. Um, yeah, man, I'd I'm love to. We got hooked up, you know. Thanks, thanks to Gabriel Bass for hooking us up, and uh, I enjoyed it. And if anybody has any questions or, or anything, they can, you know, contact us through our the website there, the WhiteFeatherArchery.com website, or or through our Facebook. And uh, I'd be glad to answer any questions or or work with somebody on a project. Yeah, man, uh, I'd love to have you again on sometime. We can talk a little bit more about it like it's one of them things to where i feel like I, we just kind of scratched the surface sure yeah that'd be good i'd like to meet you and uh you know maybe if maybe if they ever open things back up maybe we can meet up down at the hill at the at the, at the rendezvous place and shoot a little bit together hey that'd be something else man i'd love that oh it's a good time yeah man <laughs> well hey man all right well appreciate it yeah man thank you so much news and notes thank you so much for listening to porch talk if you haven't done so already i would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to you can find us on the social medias like and follow those pages Uh, check out what matt has going on over at his place we're going to walk a thing on out the door of a song by gabriel bass called kudzu peace out you know my love for you grows wild I can't control myself when I see a smile.
thought I'd write you a line or two And babe, this one's for you I like to crawl on you, baby, like a wildfire In the summertime, when my love is in bloom time to you know I want to grow on you like the good zoo Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.